Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, July 12th, we're studying Psalm 22, a proclamation of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, Pastor Oppel. It's great to be with you again. How are things going there at the seminary? What have y'all been doing this summer? What do you have coming up? Absolutely. Uh, we just uh, concluded our Christ Academy high school program, had a wonderful group of young men and young women on campus with us uh, here, uh, just finishing up on on uh, July 2nd, so about 10 days ago. And um, yeah, we had just fantastic time with everyone, had uh uh, Pastor Hans Feeney come in as our last day speaker, and uh, he just wowed wowed the students like uh, you would expect him to. And uh, so, yeah, now we're we're moving forward to the fall and uh, looking forward to uh, lots of fun events. We've got our prayerfully consider visit for those who are considering possible service in the church and study at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. That is October thirteenth through fifteenth. And then we have our College Christ Academy uh, at the end of October. Everything, um, including uh, plan your own visit information, is on our website at ctsfw.edu. All right, Pastor Waitfield, that sounds fantastic. God's blessings on the seminary's continued work. We get to look at Psalm 22 today. And when we look at the Psalms, the way that we think about context is different than, say, a narrative or an epistle. You don't necessarily know from one Psalm to the next that there's carryover. So what is the context of Psalm 22? What's some introductory material that will help us as we look at the Psalm today? So ultimately... Um, we receive the Psalms as the prayers of the children of Israel. They are, um, regardless of in what way and who is the who are really the authors of them, they are the the compilation of the prayers of 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 the people. So we know that David is 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 the bulk of the Psalms writers, but then other folks write Psalms as well, and in, they even include um, bits from. Um, when Moses um, was uh, was saying things, uh, was was do was in um, kind of prayer mode as well. So Moses is one of the folks that is included in there. Some of the ordained priests uh, have psalms in there uh, as well, as well as Solomon. You know, we when we think of Solomon, we usually think of Solomon, uh, whether it be the Song of Solomon. Um, or the Song of Songs, if you will, or uh, we think of the Proverbs. But Solomon does write 
right, write a psalm as well. Uh, so yeah, there there are multiple writers, and we don't re- receive them um, in way of like as you, as you have said, uh, Pastor Appled. Um, we don't receive them um, in some sort of like chronological order. Um, it is in many ways uh, like our own hymnal, where you have hymns from different periods, different times, different people. Uh, but regardless of where, where they have come from, we receive them as they're as, as still as uh, unlike our hymns, uh, as beautiful as they are, we still receive them as the inspired word of God. Um, but they are, they are the prayers of the, of the people of Israel. So in Psalm 22, then with that, that large context, what are some of the things we should be looking for in Psalm 22, some of the features of Psalm 22 as we prepare to study it? The, I think the focus for Psalm 22 is that there is a, a person and, uh, you know, David is the Psalm writer uh, for this Psalm. We see that at the beginning of, of Psalm 22, kind of in that explanation, uh, explanation, uh, explanation of the Psalm, um, the, uh, the note for the psalm at the beginning um, the, the 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 Bible that I have um, the Lutheran study Bible just has that kind of in a in a different font um, kind of all uh, kind of bold ish or kind of uh, uppercase but a smaller uppercase other texts may call this like Psalm uh, 22 verse zero if you will that it's not really a uh, part of the text itself but it's still um, it's still something that is written uh, down and something that I think is quite great that um, our, our th- those who have been translating uh, the Bible um, from its from its original Hebrew and Aramaic of uh, the Old Testament that they include this as well. Um, so uh, we see in in this uh, that there's some adi- there's some notes ahead of of, of what. Um, what what this what what the actual Psalm twenty two text is uh, to the choir master according to the doe of dawn uh, whether that's a musical uh, notation or some sort of other paraphrase of something the choir master would have known uh, whether that's a psalm tone uh, as we have psalm tones now they would have chanted um, psalms as well and sung them. Um, but then ultimately it concludes a Psalm of David. Uh, so David being the author of this Psalm. So back to the focus, um, a person, uh, probably David at some point in his life who is crying out to God to save him from the taunts and torments of his enemies. And then the last uh, 10 verses is then kind of the flip. Uh, and I, I'll talk a little bit more about this as we get into the Psalm. It's like almost a great reversal where, um, you know, you, there we see over and over and over again that these taunts and these, uh, these, these torments by the enemies, but then ultimately, God has done the rescuing. God has, and so the psalm, the 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 person praying the psalm, the psalm writer himself, um, has in mind that he is giving thanks to God. He is thanking God for rescuing him from this. Um, a second um, kind of focus. So I think that's the primary focus. A secondary focus could be um, as the children of Israel um, are. Uh, individually or as a group crying out uh, in, in, you know, for in present or future um, in, uh, exile, whether it's actually happening and they're praying this while they're going off into exile, or if they see the exile coming, because the, the children of Israel go through multiple exit or mo- multiple 
exiles, not multiple exoduses, multiple exiles where they are kicked out of their land. And so this could very easily be something that they're praying as they are going, uh, going on through um, the exile. Uh, third, you know, as I mentioned, the great reversal in Psalm 22, the Psalm begins um, that they are, you know, that they are a forsaken, that they are abandoned essentially by God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are, are my, why are my groaning so far from you? Um, and then ultimately at the end, we see the thanksgivings of God or to God by the person or people. And then you've got the beautiful words of Psalm 23, um, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, so it, it eases from this ang- ang- anxiousness, anxiety that is going on here in Psalm 22 and eases into, okay, everything's okay. The Lord is the one who ultimately has control over everything. I'm going to be okay he and then ultimately then culminating in uh, he spreadeth the table before me in the presence of my enemies my cup over my yeah my cup overflowed surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever heaven i mean it ends heavenly and it's 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 yeah. it's absolutely beautiful then finally this this psalm you can't get away from the fact that it is utterly christological and um as we get deeper into the text we'll see bits and pieces of the actual crucifixion um pieces that kind of uh, are foreshadowed um that are um you know in many ways prophesying what is going to happen and whether it's christ you know i, I know I, I i believe this myself and in part and also you know think maybe is christ um uh, just praying this psalm but christ pr- is praying throughout his crucifixion on the cross um is praying and he very well is praying the psalms um whether it's just bits and pieces of the psalm but we know that psalm 22 is one of the psalms that he prays as he is on the cross. And so it's a, it's this beautiful kind of foreshadowing, um, prophesying towards what will happen to Christ. And then Christ taking those words into himself and actually speaking those words while these things are happening. So that's just some, you know, some overall focuses on, on what, what, uh, what's going to be happening here uh, within the text. I appreciate you bringing up the fact that Psalm 23 does come after Psalm 22. I mean, we did say, you know, it's not necessarily that you need to see one Psalm before or one Psalm after to understand the full context, but I think it it does work well here. And many places in the Psalter, you you can make those connections that are helpful. And, And particularly, as you said, you know, Jesus prays Psalm 22 from the cross. And I've often thought and heard it suggested, and I think this is probably true, that and you were saying this, I think, that Jesus not only prays, as we'll hear, the first verse of Psalm 22, but he actually prays the whole of mm-hmm. Psalm 22. And it, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus had, and again, I, I don't know this, but it, if he had prayed Psalm 22 and just kept praying his way through the Psalter. Exactly. Including, I mean, and because, you know, he he quotes part of Psalm 31, which we'll study in a, in a few days here on, on Sharper Iron, where, where he says, I, I commit my spirit into your hands or into your hands, I commit my spirit. So, you, you know, you kind of wonder, did Jesus say start? Who knows with what Psalm he started? Maybe it was Psalm 22, but then worked through 23, 24, until he got to say 31. I, I don't know, but it, I mean, we know he's praying the Psalms 
And, and certainly in Psalm 22, that gives really important context to our interpretation of it. And, and as you said, I mean, I think in Psalm 22, we see one of the, oh man, maybe the top five descriptions of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 is right up there with like Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. as this is where you see the passion and the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord foretold in the Old Testament. So it really is a, a wonderful psalm. I can't help but but think of Monday, Thursday, the service that we have, where at the end of the service, Psalm 22 is either spoken or chanted as the altar is stripped in preparation for the Good Friday services. And it's just a, I mean, so this psalm is, is definitely an important one for us as Christians as we consider the, the passion and resurrection of our Lord. So let's go ahead and read and pray Psalm 22. The superscription to the choir master, according to the Dill of the Dawn, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is well melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship, Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That's Psalm 22. 
All right, Pastor Wheatfelt, let's start with that first verse, which I mean, we, we hear David pray it here, and we I think we automatically start to think of our Lord's Prayer from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What What's being expressed here? Yeah, so um, what, G, what, what David, I, I almost slipped into saying what Jesus, because it's, it's also what Jesus is, is expressing too when he's praying Psalm 22. Um, he's, he's expressing the forsakenness or abandoned or being abandoned by God. This is one of the reasons. Um, so I should have prefaced this. Not all uh, Christians um, will read scripture uh, Christologically. I think Lutherans by nature oftentimes do read uh, scripture Christologically. Um, that is, uh, we, we look, we see Christ, not just as the, as a golden thread that weaves all of scripture together, but that the pages, uh, D- Dr. David scare, one of our professors here at the seminary, uh, said it in a, in a paper one time that, the every page is gilded in gold, uh, and that is that is really uh, I think very accurate. Everything, all of Scripture is pointing to Christ, um, and so um, you know. So, so saying that, um, yeah, there are Christians that, uh, and, and especially scholarly individuals um, in other Christian denominations that w- won't necessarily read scripture and study scripture in that light. And um, so, you know, somewhere I think in an attempt to be faithful um, to the text, um, so on and so forth. And I think, you know, we are equally faithful. Um, they they will have a hard time seeing Christ in Psalm 23, in Psalm 22, um, even though he uses these words uh, on the cross, because I mean, in some, by some, um, they they know that Christ is the second person of the Trinity, and so how can God abandon Himself? How can God abandon you know a member, a part, a person of the Trinity? And they have a hard time kind of getting their minds around that. Um, you know, I think I, I it does it's it's kind of you know a a, a Trinitarian paradox for uh, in, in in my opinion that you know the second person of the Trinity in this moment is abandoned by himself, by him, by, by the Godhead, um, by his father, I mean, ultimately by his father, um, who he's, who I believe, I mean, he is, he is speaking um, specifically to um, as, you know, especially in John's gospel, you see, I think this breakout a little better than you see it in the other gospels. Um, in, in in you know the last few Sundays of Easter, and now in, as we've uh, gone across the hump of Trinity, uh, Holy Trinity Sunday into now the Sundays, uh, um, the Sundays of Trinity or the Sundays after Pentecost, you know that you see a lot of this. Um, the Jesus saying, "The Father and I are one," uh, if, and also what the Father hands to me, I hand to you, sort of language, which kind of breaks out the Trinity. It still holds the integrity of, you know, the the, the three, uh, one God, but three persons. But that's, I mean, that's exactly what's going on here. The Father is now um, in forsaking uh, the Son because that is what the weight of the sin that he has now taken on to himself, our sin, he has now taken on to himself. His father now turns his back to him um, for him to die um, for uh, the weight, for the whole 
the wholeness, not just not just the you know, not just the guilt, not just the shame, everything, all sin dies in the sun and is completely and totally atoned for. Um, he makes the full payment for our sins. Um, and so yeah, the, the father, the father turns and in, in a sense turns his back on the son because of that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, there, it is this interesting, you know, in some way, the Psalm writer has no idea the depth and breadth of how these words are going to, or how these words are in many ways prophesying towards the future of this is what is going to happen in its fullness and its complete culmination in Christ, in the Messiah. And it's just like, holy cow, if he only, if David only would have known, that would be, <laughs> wow, just, just wow. I mean, it, it, any sort of feelings that he had, whether it be, um, whether it be over his sin or the people's ec- being exiled, that pales in comparison to the son being abandoned by his father. Yeah, I mean, it, and as you said, it is one of the the mysteries, both of of the Holy Trinity and of the Incarnation. That mm-hmm. that God abandons God, the Father abandons the Son, such that the yeah the the Son is completely abandoned, and yet it is God who dies on the cross for the sins of the the whole world. It's one of the the wonderful mysteries, uh, which does mean salvation for us. And, and when Jesus prays this. This is the the greatest suffering that he endures is the the abandonment by God. And you see just how great that suffering is as the psalm progresses. And I think I mean and keep pushing us forward into this psalm, Pastor Wheatfelt, but one of the things that stands out to me, and this I think is true throughout the psalm, is how there is both this interplay between the one praying this psalm, again being Jesus on the cross finally, but the one praying this psalm trusts God. I mean, he calls him my God over and over again, and and you see the trust come through. And yet at the same time, what he's experiencing in the suffering and the abandonment is, it seems more that he can bear. You have that kind of going back and forth. Keep pushing us forward into the the next few verses. Absolutely. Um, So what, what, I, 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 as I was, you know, reading through this and praying through this yet again, it, it, it was this time that I was, you know, that that really struck me. Um, how, um, you know, the faith of the of of David, the faith of Jesus, um, ultimately, um, it, I mean, it's it is it is a it is gift. It is um, it is, and our faith is is gift. But it's there is a there is the relationship that is held in integrity and in, in, in intact the entire way through where you know the, and we'll see this back and forth back and forth between questioning like god where are you and but i know that you are there i know you have promised to be there and i know that you are there and so you know you've got with, with one versus 1 and 2 you've got the where where are you god and then the um but you are holy. You are enthroned on the pra- uh, on the praises of Israel, and in our Father, in our in you, our fathers trusted. And so there's that that kind of back and forth, like where where are you? But I know that you are still God. How often do we, you know, and do 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 our fellow um, Christians, you know, over some maybe things that are even less trivial? than 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 actually being the payment for sin 
or being exiled for from a from your land or you know what whatever it might be how often do we you know kind of lose sight of that and we they're that they're not held as closely um as what they they ought to be as, as the psalm writer uh, as david is 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 writing this is praying this and uh, you know for that we ought to repent and, and and take david as an example take christ as our example the greater david um who you know does not lose sight of what how this actually works out that although you are in the midst of trial and, tri- and tribulation your god is still there although you are suffering god is there with you helping you through the suffering hidden and not seen uh, he's not going to give you some sort of get out of jail free card um, that's not the way that that, that it works but he has given you because there has to be a payment for sin. He, but he has given you the the, the final payment in Christ, um, who who covers everything for us and and is everything for us. And it's just yeah. So how often do we kind of fall into this kind of you know oh you know obviously God doesn't love me because you know I'm I'm going through suffering. Um, no. God loves you through the suffering. God cares for you through the suffering. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't forsake you. He doesn't leave you. He is there through and through and and carries you all the way through it all. Yeah, and the the fact that Christ is the one who prays this from the cross and he truly was forsaken by God mm-hmm. is part of the promise that God will not forsake us. The Father forsook his son so that he does not now forsake us, his children who have been adopted in Christ. I mean, that is that is part of the beauty of this psalm, and to hear Jesus praying it, knowing that, yes, he has been forsaken by the Father there on the cross, but the, the trust of Jesus comes through because he doesn't despair. And I, that's what I really appreciate about this psalm, as as honest as it is about the, the really difficult sufferings that Jesus faced, there's not despair on the part of Jesus. There is continued hope and trust that the what is happening on the cross is the Father's will for the salvation of the world, and then that the resurrection is coming on the third day. All of that is, is wrapped up here, and, and having Jesus go through that in our place means that when we suffer, God is not forsaking us, but he is with us. His promise remains ours, and we know that that's true in Christ. So we'll keep seeing this wonderful hope from Psalm 22 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're talking to Pastor Matt Wheatfelt this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. 
a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, July 12th. We're studying Psalm 22 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. He is the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we picked up the first five verses of Psalm 22 that the one praying, and this is ultimately Jesus who prays this on the cross, he is forsaken by God, and yet he does not despair. He knows that the Father will keep his promises, and we're going to see that as the, the psalm continues. But before we we get to the, the promise kept, which comes toward the end of this psalm, there is a, a great description of the suffering that is endured. And it really begins in, in verse 6. You start to see some of the very clear connections to Christ on the cross. Uh, help us into to verses maybe 6 through 8. So um, in, in, way, in way of kind of seeing uh, our eyes being open to what, what is happening in the crucifixion. So it, it, in six, you know, the, the David and ultimately Jesus, you know, I am a worm and not a man. You see the depravity of sin actually felt like that you are less than human um, yeah. because of, because of the sin, because of what, what you are actually um, what is actually going on within you, but even more so than for Jesus, you know, it, he is just, he is scorned by mankind. Um, not only is Jesus forsaken and has his, has, has, has the father turn his back on him, but mankind. And I think mankind is the first one that does this. Um, man, he's we over and over and over again, we see, um, mankind rejecting Jesus. And it's really then I think what, what we, what we got to get our minds around is that because of that, Jesus is completely, completely abandoned. Jesus is both 100% man, 100% God. He is abandoned by both by God and by man. He is, he is all alone. Even those who are closest to him, even um, um, outside of, you know, the women that they're crying um, off, off in the distance, um, even his disciples abandon him. And it's just like, wow, everyone, everyone has left him. And it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's mind blowing. Um, Yeah. Just, just, well, just briefly on that, Pastor Wheatfelt, because I think when you read particularly the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I'd have to go back and, and look to see which one does this the most, but I, I think it's really there in all of them. You see that in the the passion account of our Lord, Absolutely. how just gradually you you see Jesus being left alone. I suppose it's it's mostly it's more in Matthew and Mark because they are the ones that record Jesus praying, particularly Psalm twenty two. And, and how, you know, eventually you start with Jesus and he's got the 12 around him, but then they start to flee. You know, Judas betrays him, the rest flee. Peter kind of hangs around, but then he ends up denying Jesus until finally it climaxes there on the cross when Jesus is praying Psalm 22. And as you said, he is all alone at that point, forsaken both by God and man. It really is quite striking. It's it's utterly, uh, it's it, and everyone just from... Really, so he Jesus starts his ministry, and he's like he's the razzle dazzle kid who comes out of the backwoods of of Nazareth, and then it yeah it starts to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until it's finally him alone on the cross, 
And that's it. So that's, I think that's a very good point to highlight. Well, moving, moving on to verse seven, um, you know, uh, all, let's see, verse seven, uh, all who see me mock me. They, they, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And that, that wagging of the head is like, is, is, is the shaking of the head and in, in, in disregard uh, of a, of a person. And so we know, you know, as Jesus is hanging there on the cross, um, they, they are mocking him. They are, um, they're ridiculing him. They're calling for him as well as, well as the, the other thieves on the cross um, that they are, they're, they're saying, you know, you know, if you, if, you know, the one thief we know says, if you, if you are the son of God, you I mean, come down, you know, get us down from the cross too. Um, so it's, it's every, everyone is ganging up against him in a very, and I've always been struck by this in, in the reading during, uh, on Good Friday, how this it, it, it's whipped up into a demonic frenzy. Uh, how all of these different voices from and I've, I've you know from from the initial um, taking of Jesus uh, in the Mount in, in, at, at Gethsemane, um, all the way through the trials to uh, from 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 um, the Sanhedrin to Pilate to Herod to Pilate, it's all whipped up into a demonic frenzy. One of the best, I think the person who gets this the best is, uh, is uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. If you listen to either of his um, St. John's passion or Ma- St. Matthew's passions, he like the way that he whips up the chorus um, it, during these parts is just, it, it, it just leaves you like with goosebumps on how, demonic um the activity actually is i think he gets it probably the best of anyone um that anyone possibly could but nevertheless verse seven yet there it's just moving forward um highlighting the different things that are happening to him verse verses um nine through eleven then it it turns back to the david's faith to 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 jesus actually knowing that from the womb the Lord has been there. He took um, the Lord is the one acting as the, the one who actually takes the person Jesus out of Mary's womb that you have made me trust you at my mother's womb. So even before um, birth um, after conception, when life begins, there's the faith and trust in the Lord is already, is already built into there. Um, And, so uh, and then verse verse ten and oh I can cat I, I I was cast from you uh, on you I was cast from my birth again from my mother's womb um and you uh, be not far from me for the troubles are near and it's just showing this desire to be in relationship this desire through faith to reside on the Lord. And it's only faith given by the Holy spirit that can actually say these words with any sort of hope or with any sort of faith, which is, which is just kind of amazing. Right. Yeah. Verses nine through 11. Again, you see the, the, the interplay here between the suffering, which is, is leading to that question from verse one. And yet at the same time, the faith that, that stands there, that even in the midst of that suffering, this faith cries out to the God. I mean, that's that's just, just a marvelous thing that on the one hand, the suffering has this person saying, you've abandoned me. Why have you done it? And yet praying in hope that 
he hasn't abandoned. And, and again, Jesus was abandoned on the cross by his father for our sake so that we would not. And, and this faith then of Psalm 22 becomes such a, a wonderful example to us when we are suffering to cry out in this manner and, and not to be afraid of, of, if I can say it this way, not to be afraid of the emotions that are expressed here in Psalm 22, but to go ahead and, and cry out to God in the midst of those emotions, to actually cry out to him lest those emotions overwhelm us in our, and, and become something of despair, I think it's only when when we actually spend time praying psalms like this, Psalm 22, that we can, you know, those emotions don't lead us to despair, but actually through the prayer, we're brought back closer to God and the trust that's expressed, say, in, in these verses, verses 9 through 11 particularly. Absolutely. I think, you know, as, I mean, li- living, in, living in a world that is full of sin, uh, living as people who whose uh, proclivities are towards sin because of original sin, you know, it is very easy to kind of wallow within that and to say we, there's nothing to be done. But however, Christ has already won the big victory for us and calls us to live, uh, you know, live the Christian life. And is there in this all, and even in the midst of the heartaches and the sorrows and the um, the trials and the tribulations is there with us is actually there with us. He, he promises in Matthew 28, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, you know, we can oftentimes think, okay, yeah, that's, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, but what happens when the rubber really meets the road? Well, when the rubber re- meets the road, friends, he is actually there. He is with you through whether it be your, whether it be cancer, whether it be the death of loved ones, whether it be loss, financial, whatever. He is there with you, um, and he, he who has given all good things to you and for you is there with you and for you, even in the midst of trials and heartaches. He won't. He does not leave you or forsake you. I mean, we during our Christ Academy, we were talking to the kids about the about the the problems of the prosperity gospel. That is, if you know, you can only know um, that the Lord loves you and the Lord cares for you by the amount of stuff that he uh, he gives to you. And that's all fine and dandy um, when the Lord is actually giving you things. But what happens when the Lord, uh, when, when those things dry up, what happens when um, sorrow, so- sorrows and heartaches and death finally have their way, which are bound to happen in this world? Does that mean the Lord loves you any less? No, he, he doesn't. According to the prosperity gospel, I mean, the answer would be yes. But um, that's why that is a false religion. Um, that is a false religion because the Lord doesn't give you things um, when he, to show that he loves you. No, he's already given you all things in Christ uh, that he, to show you that he loves you. And he continues to be with you in the midst of, of all sorrows and heartaches and, and, and death. And he promises that he confirms that, and he continues to give that to you as he has forgiven you through the waters of holy baptism and continues to forgive you through his word and his sacraments. He loves you so much. 
I really appreciate you bringing out the the matter of Matthew 28 and the way that that gospel closes, because it's like Jesus can make that promise there at the end. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, because he's prayed Psalm 22 already. You know, Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's been forsaken by God so that he can then make you that promise by the end after he's died and risen for you. It, it's, it reminds me very much of what you were saying earlier about how Psalm 22, then going into 23, that you know we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like Matthew's gospel is following that same pattern in, in Matthew 27 and 28. It's, it's quite beautiful. Now, as, as we continue here in Psalm 22, in verses 12 through 18, we get another one of these just very vivid pictures of, of the suffering that's going on. And we see, again, so clearly, even in the Old Testament, Christ on the cross. We've got, we've got bulls, we've got lions, we've got dogs. There's uh, matters with the bones and the, the garments being divided. What are, what are some of the things we see there in, in verses 12 to 18? Um, in 14, especially my bones, uh, all my bones are out of joint. I mean, that's just, that's crucifixion. They, I mean, that's, that's one of the pains, um, that they, that they take, um, that the, that the, the Romans would have done. Um, they, they, they did not, I mean, as, as brutal as you think some things in this world are, and there are brutal things in this world. Um, the Romans cared nothing for the bodies of their, um, of the of the victims that, of their torture of crucifixion, they whether it be um, yeah putting the people on the cross and actually putting nails through their flesh, or um, Im, you know trying to um, get um, someone to actually fit onto a particular cross, they did not care. So there, I mean, mo- many many accounts of, of of the crucified who have been you know had bone had uh, had joints writ torn and 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 uh, things put out of joint in order to just make them fit on the cross. You know, I think Mel Gibson's Passion gets that well uh, too, where there are times where I think there's one scene where uh, like one of the other prisoners actually one of the other crucified actually gets his gets like his legs maybe um put out of out of joint or something um um but that's it 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 was all part of it so yeah crucifixion's just not is is a is a horrible terrible terrible thing uh, if you think of if you think of it from a medical or scientific uh perspective uh so that's just 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 absolutely um horrendous um so yeah um it, bones being put out um um the strength being dried up like a potsherd. Jesus, uh, you know, speaks words. I thirst. Um, he is. He's actually like. He is actually going through. Now he's not going through the motions. He's actually going through the whole whole thing. That he is. He is thirsty. And what does he? What do they give him? They give him a uh, sour wine. Um, or yeah, on 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 the hyssop. Um, and so he he he's. He's actually going, going, going through this. And in uh, sixteen, um, you you see more of this um, kind of demonic encircling around Jesus. This demonic chaos um, that that is going on. Finally, that they pierce my hands and my feet. Um, that's crucifixion, right? Right yeah. there. That's just that's just crucifixion. He's so well torn up that we're able to count his bones. I mean, after, after the beating that the scourging that Jesus endures, I mean, you, one could guarantee they, he was, he, he looked less than human at that point. Uh, and finally in 18, they divided up his garments and cast lots for his clothing. All of this, I don't know how much more, you know, foreshadowing, prophesying about the crucifixion that this could be. I mean, it's just continued time and time and time again. It's always 
foreshadowing the crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's again, this is one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament of Christ on the cross. It, it really is. You, you see it very clearly. And now in verses 19 and 21, we make a turn again back toward the hope that really will we'll pick up in, in verses 22 through the end is kind of the grand conclusion. I think there is a just structurally for this psalm. Verses 1 to 21 stand as the, you know, this is where the crucifixion is being prophesied and kind of the interplay between the suffering and yet the hope. And then verses 22 to 31, that's really where you start to see, I mean, there's this is kind of a, a grand conclusion that that points us toward the resurrection, I think. But we'll, we'll come to that. Take us to, to verses 19 to 21 first. Yeah, so uh, 19, 19 through 21, again, is that um, faith. Uh, it's, 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 it's highlighting the faith of of the psalmist and of Jesus that there that that the Lord although he there may be forsakenness now that it will not be forever um, do not uh, but oh Lord do not be far off um, so yeah you may have your back turned to me but be there to to catch me as as I fall deliver my soul from the sword my life my precious life from the power of the dog save me from the mouth of the lion so everything that had been said before. Now it, it's it's that now kind of um, chiastic uh, completion of uh, the undoing of that um, and 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 so that um, everything that was feared about before he is actually turning those fears into prayers, which is absolutely like how often do we get anxious about things uh, in this life and think about how how are we going to handle this? Well, the first thing we ought to do, friends, is simply take those fears and anxieties and turn them into our prayer requests to the Lord um, and, allow, and, and, and raise them up to him who is the one that can actually deal with these things and, and, uh, and, and, and carry us through these, these hard things first and foremost. So take, take any anxieties, any fears, any wants, turn those into your prayer requests um, to the Lord. Um, it, and, and, and he, he is the one who can ultimately cover them. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Turn your fears into prayers. I, I love that pastor. We've felt so, and, and we see, we see David doing that. We see our Lord doing that Verses 22 to 31, then form this conclusion. And it, it's all, again, this always strikes me on Monday, Thursday, the altars being stripped. We know what's coming on the good Friday services. And yet even then there is this hope that comes through so clearly. Uh, give us the highlights of these, these final verses, 22 to 31. And to your point, you know, just thinking about Monday, Thursday, I know at our church, it seems like, and as when I was in the parish, it seemed like we were able to get the altar stripped by the time we got through verse 21 so that you're, as a congregation, I don't know how that worked out. I mean, I know that doesn't work out in many places, but it's always seemed like we were able to just kind of sit there in the silence and let Saul and let 22 through 31 kind of rush over us as, as the gospel that it is. So, um, they so 22 goes on. Um, I'll tell of your name to my brethren preaching the word 23. Uh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the Lord is the one who, who, who carries us through these, all, all, all these things. Let us, let us give thanks to him and praise him. Uh, he does not despise the, uh, or abhor the afflicted of uh, the affliction of the afflicted nor hide his face. I mean, this is all faith. This is all faith in, uh, in the Lord that he is going to carry us through this. He, this is a great reversal Again, like in um, in, uh, tw- in nineteen through twenty one, turning our prayer, turning our fears and anxieties into prayers. Now, the the things that had been happening before, um, he, the Lord is now turning these into the things to give thanks to the for because God. Whereas in verse one, we thought God had abandoned us, He does not. He only abandons His Son. He does not abandon us. And so now these become our praises. Anxieties become our prayers. These, these, uh, our prayer requests, these now become what we give thanks to God for because he has not forsaken us and how he is continue, how he will continue to, uh, share in all these good things. The uh, 30, 30, the prosperity, uh, shall serve him, um, and it shall be told of uh, of the Lord in coming generations, 31, that they shall proclaim his righteousness, a, a people yet unborn, that he, uh, that, that he has done it. And this is all resurrection language. This is all just foreshadowing that where the crucifixion is and the burial comes, then the, nat- the, the absolute next step has to be the resurrection. There is no way around it. And so where there is your death and your burial, the next logical thing, because what happens to Jesus happens to you, is your resurrection into life everlasting. Yeah. I mean, that, those last verses, you know, posterity shall serve him. These these things that speak toward the children and the future can only be true if there is a resurrection. Absolutely. And then the way that the way that this psalm ends, you know, that he has done it, I can't help but hear the echo of, and I know it's not quite the same verb, but the echo of what Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. It mm-hmm. is done is the way that the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation speaks that language. It is done. It is finished. Similarly here in, in verse 31 of Psalm of Psalm 22, that he has done it. That's the confidence that is ours as, as Christians because of what Christ has done both in his death and his resurrection. And the way that it, it speaks there at the very end of Psalm 22, I think really ties those things together that it is finished. Christ has accomplished everything necessary because of his abandonment on the cross, his suffering, his death and his resurrection. It is all done. And, and Psalm 22 then for all of that suffering, and it is great yet it, it ends with this just glorious hope that is ours as well, because Christ has, to use the language of Psalm 23 again, because Christ has gone through the valley of the shadow of death and into eternal life, we know that he's going to do the same for us. He's going to bring us through that valley and into eternal life as well. And again, I, I know we said in context of the Psalms, you don't always pair them together, but I, I really think that that with Psalm 22 and, and then 23 following, there's there's something there for us to, to keep chewing on as, as we reflect on these Psalms. So Pastor, we felt we got about four minutes left on the morning it was such a wonderful psalm in front of us help us to to wrap things up give us the good news yet again uh, absolutely i mean i think you know as as we ponder you know you can't as you ponder a psalm like this you can't help but take take be taken back uh, to the crucifixion um and 
you know, I, I think I think our words at the beginning of of the um, of our time together this morning really help you know kind of put a good kind of um, frame into onto this that Jesus is whether Jesus is praying the entire Psalter, whether Jesus is picking up here at twenty two and kind of praying through thirty one, whatever it is. I mean, I think you know in many ways it, one could could have faithfully in their mind that Jesus is you know praying through this section, and so he he himself would have had. Psalm 22, followed by then Psalm 23. And um, in in seeing that, there's just such great beauty knowing that even though one may think that the Lord uh, has forsaken them, that one may think that the Lord has abandoned them, the Lord is not gone. The Lord is there with you. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Um, and he gives to you all these good things. One, one of um, so there's this great little book uh, called Christ in the Psalms um, by Henry pa- Patrick Reardon, who's a who's an Orthodox um, professor and, and and I think pastor too. Um, he he highlights the fact that you know this is really um, how the how the how th- the three. Um, predictions of our Lord's passion uh, all end with the prediction of the resurrection, just as this psalm ends with uh, the prediction of the resurrection as well. Then it is a natural thing that where there is death through the Lord, there will be life. And that is, I think that is the, just an absolutely marvelous thing uh, to consider uh, as well. And, 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 and to kind of conclude, Luther sees this as being one of the chief psalms. Um, one of the chief psalms because um, first it, it 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 highlights the 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 death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it it in it is one of the best places that we see the prophesying of what is actually going to be happening at the crucifixion. And it's amazing how you know you you go through the list com- uh, comparing Psalm twenty two to. Uh, against, excuse me, um, the, the the passion account, and it's just like you just check the boxes one after another, after another, after another, after another, and how that all comes together in the psalm, but that the psalm then ultimately ends in the in hope, in promise, in the resurrection. That though Jesus has died, and he has died fully and completely f- to atone for all of your sins, uh, your sins. Uh, are no more. Your sins are no more. You have been forgiven. And that forgiveness stands for you as gift from Christ himself. So also then your resurrection will be like his resurrection for where Jesus is there. You will be also. And as Jesus crosses from death to life, from crucifixion to resurrection. So you will cross from death to life, whatever that death may be ultimately to your resurrection, to be with him in paradise, the place that he has prepared for you from the foundations of the world, where you will sit at the, you will, you will, you will, you are made an heir with Christ, our brother who has forgiven you fully and completely of all of your sins. 
Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us today with Psalm 22. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Oppel. Great being with you once again. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. I'm reminded of the hymn, Christ, the life of all the living, the last stanza goes like this. Then for all that wrought my pardon, for thy sorrows deep and sore, for thine anguish in the garden, I will thank thee evermore. Thank thee for thy groaning, sighing, for thy bleeding and thy dying, for that last triumphant cry, and shall praise thee, Lord, on high. That is our prayer as well, because of what Christ has done, as we've seen it in Psalm 22. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.